welcome back to the crossover across time podcast for the final episode of our first season of the podcast uh first of all i'm your host karsten welcome to the show and or welcome back to the show whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast either way we appreciate your support um joining me today we have uh one of our co-hosts, our normal Monday scheduled co-host uh, during the regular season, uh, one of my good friends, Wyatt. How are you doing today, Wyatt? I'm doing good, Karsten. It's been a busy last couple of weeks, but a good last couple of weeks. So, Absolutely. I, I didn't know that Wyatt here had actually made a, a couple of big life changes until we just barely got on the uh, on the call. So... That's always fun. And it's funny how, because I think that's just a general guy thing, you know, where it's just like, oh, what are you up? What are you up to? And it's like, oh, yeah, I just made all of these major life changes. And then it's like, oh, cool. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that That's cool, man. You know, and it's like not really a big conversation point. But anyways, yeah, we're well, happy. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, if it's not on the gram, it didn't happen on the gram. <laughs> so, for some people, you know. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't seen an Instagram post about it. So, uh, yeah, still... and you, you will not. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll, uh, we won't I, hold our I breath. I post about twice a year, maybe. <laughs> that's a fair point. You know, I thought I didn't use Instagram very much, but you raise a good point. I don't know if I've seen very many posts from you, but, um, regardless whether he posts very much or not, we're happy to have Wyatt on the show, of course. <laughs> and, uh, for today's podcast, we, um, we're going to focus first, of course, on the key news. I mean, cause it's been a couple of weeks, um, actually just over two weeks since our last episodes, so we've got a lot of stuff to run through, um, and a lot of big NBA kind of restructuring things really, um, so we'll touch on that. We'll cover the latest news. We'll also take a moment uh, to talk about Summer League. I mean, that's really been the key thing um, when you talk about what was going on during our last episode and what's happened since. And the Summer League came and went, and we had plenty of stuff to talk about, so we'll touch on that. We'll check back in on any roster movement that might have happened since um, our previous episode, and then we will kind of wrap things up, you know, talk about season one as a whole, and then uh, get into what we can about season two. So let's go ahead and just dive right into it. And we'll start with uh, the first key news item. And, you know, I try and rank these in uh, order of kind of importance slash impact. And um, to many, this will be disingenuous to be the first item to talk about. But to me, it's perfectly valid because we get to talk about the fact that the Sacramento Kings finally rectified their um, horrible uniforms they've had for the last several seasons. <laughs> and they got brand new uniforms and they're great. They're not the best uniforms I've ever seen, but they're very good. And every time I see them, I'm more excited about it. Wyatt, did you happen to see this that the Kings unveiled new uniforms? I shockingly did not see that. Oh, you got to look it up right now, dude. So for those <laughs> okay. who were unfamiliar or just forgot mm-hmm. what the uniforms looked like because they are they were a forgettable set. Basically, it was 2016 when the Kings unveiled these uniforms. And really, they're not the worst uniforms that they that any teams had, but they're, they're they were just kind of soulless. I mean, it was purple with gray as really the the secondary color along with the purple. And I'm not against gray in theory, but I it felt very, you know, kind of drew out a lot of the excitement, that particular color combination. You know, the font 
that they went with wasn't the greatest, you know, it was interesting with the black alternate Jersey or the statement Jersey, if you will, how they did the sort of pseudo chain mail pattern. I thought that was an interesting touch, but again, the, the black with gray and then a small hint of purple really just didn't do it for me, you know, and they've kind of been leaning more towards the black the last couple seasons. And so they finally went with, I think a perfect blend of the classic, you know, Kansas city and early Sacramento days Kings script, an updated version of that. But then pairing that with the emphasis on black and the purple accenting the black that they did in their best years in the late nineties. And especially the early two thousands with Chris Weber and Divots and pages, Diakovich and Mike Bibby, you know, I mean, these are great. Why have you had a chance to maybe pull those up, see what they look like? Yeah, I did. They they do look pretty nice. Maybe they're finally last season is successful enough to where they could bring it back, I guess. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> they couldn't come at a perfect a more perfect time. And again, I oh, there's a lot of people in the whole uh design space that will disparage purple, but I will not. Purple is a fantastic I, I like color. purple, yeah. Oh, it's it's great, purple you know. Pen. And I think I think they've got a great set here. Um, they also did you see the statement jersey, the purple alternate, the gradient? I did. One. Yeah, that yeah, one. I'm, I I'm, watched the the little video of the. Oh, gotcha. You know, the unveiling. Yeah, and this one's still good. I'm not as sold on it. It it's a a callback to one of the more interesting alternate uniforms that they had this was late nineties where it was the checkerboard pattern and half of it was black, half of it was purple. Um, I think it's a, it, an interesting concept. I think they can keep it around for a couple seasons, use it for every once in a while. It's not my favorite, but again, it's not a bad Jersey. It's still leaps and bounds ahead of what they had before, in my opinion. So, so I'm excited about that. I had to lead off with that because I was, I was stoked. I thought it was a good choice, but now let's get into some of the big stuff. Uh, and the main one is let's give you an item of, if you just can't take a break of basketball in between now and when we start getting into the preseason of the NBA, let's talk FIBA world cup, uh, 2023. That'll begin in, uh, August 25th. So it's still a ways away, but it's at least kind of a stopgap between now and the start of the next NBA season. Um, and this just goes over uh, the NBA players that are going to be on certain countries' rosters. Um, some of them haven't been announced, but in Group A, Italy will have Simone Fontecchio from the Jazz, and the Philippines will also have a Jazz man, Jordan Clarkson. Uh, China doesn't have any NBA players. Neither does New Zealand, but then you get to United States, and of course the whole team is NBA players. We've got Paolo Bencaro. That was an interesting storyline, the fact that he went – with Team USA rather than playing with Italy, which he could have played with. Um, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Halliburton, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Jaron Jackson Jr., Cameron Johnson, Walker Kessler, excited about that one, Bobby Portis, and Austin Reeves. Um, so plenty of talent. You know, you would imagine that USA is going to be among the favorites as usual to be uh, a winning team. But again, that gap gets smaller and smaller every season. There's always a potential for uh, an international squad to, to upset team USA in group D we have 
for Lithuania, Jonas Valanciunas, and uh, Serbia and Montenegro, we have Nikola Vucevic, um, not Jokic. It looks like he's getting a little bit of an extended break after an extended finals run. And then uh, closely matching the United States in total players, Group E, uh, Australia. They have Xavier Cooks, Dyson Daniels, Dante Exum, Josh Giddy, Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Jock Landale, Patty Mills, Matisse Thibel, and Jack White. So that's a lot of players. And again, those players aren't quite that overall talent compared to the U- United States team, but they're still you know NBA talent. I mean, Australia's got uh, a great recent basketball history. For Finland, uh, the finisher, Larry Markkinen. For Germany, we have Maxi Kleba, Dennis Schroeder, Tice, Franz Wagner, and Moritz Wagner, the brothers. And Japan has Yuta Watanabe and Rui Hachimura. In Group F, uh, the country of Georgia has Goga Pitadze and Sandro Mamukalashvili. And Slovenia has Vlatko Kanchar and Luka Doncic. Uh, and then Group G, Raul Neto and Spain, uh, or for Brazil, rather. And then for Spain, Ricky Rubio, Santi Aldama, and Usman Garuba. Finally, Group H, Canada, close to the USA and Australia. They have Jamal Murray, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, RJ Barrett, Dylan Brooks, Lou Dort, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kelly Olenek, Dwight Powell, O'Shea Brissett, and Corey Joseph. Then we have France, Frank Nielakina, Nicholas Batum, Evan Fournier, and Rudy Gobert. And finally, Latvia has Kristaps Porzingis and Davis Bertans. So there's a quick rundown. I don't know if we probably needed to go in quite that big of detail, but suffice to say, you've got a lot of NBA talent to watch for with the World Cup, but it's also international play. And you have national pride at stake. So that's a fun uh, thing to keep an eye out for in the, the offseason here. Um, with that, let's go ahead and jump into something I'm really curious, Wyatt, to get your thoughts on. I'm sure you've seen at least some aspect of this, but we're going to break down the big new announcement of the new NBA in-season tournament. This has been talked about off and on as part of the new CBA discussions. We heard that with the uh, agreement of the new CBA and the signing of that, that this in-season tournament would be a part of this upcoming NBA season. So what is it? How is it going to work? So basically this tournament will tip off in uh, early November, November 3rd, right at the beginning of the NBA season. Um, And this tournament finishes with its championship game on December 9th. So it'll run for a little over a month. And the winner of that tournament will receive what they're calling the NBA Cup. So it's essentially something to add a little bit of extra intrigue during the regular season. Um, but how's this is going to work? Uh, well, f- with that, the NBA will also name a tournament MVP and an all-tournament team. So it gives some extra awards to vie for. Firstly, all 30 teams have been drawn into six groups, and the drawing is based on record. Uh, there's three groups per conference and it's based on yeah the NBA season record um and the drawing i believe they take they draw the first six teams in each or the first team for each group based on the top six teams record wise and then they pick the next ones and so you should have approximately similar groups because each group will have one of the top six teams and then one of the top seven through 12 teams and so on. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, The first stage after that will be quote unquote group play, which will be played on quote unquote tournament nights. 
Um, and these are going to be during every Tuesday and Friday night during November, with the exception of the election day. So what? how does this factor into regular season? I mean, if you have teams playing in a tournament and a t- team gets eliminated, then now you have teams playing different numbers of games than others. Well, the way they've rectified that, all of these games are structured into counting for the regular season. They have some flex towards the end of the regular season to account for this. They'll be able to kind of tweak the schedule after this tournament has commenced and and finalized to make sure that all the teams are still playing their normal 82 games. There's no games added except for uh, that championship game, which doesn't count towards the regular season record anyways. Um, So they've done a good job. It's not really adding any additional workload or, or uh, load for these players and teams. It really just adds a bit of an intrigue into that existing structure. Additionally, all of these games are going to be played in, you know, those teams markets, except for the semifinals and the championship. Both of those will be hosted in uh, and played in T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. So it's bringing another event to Las Vegas, another NBA event, of course, with the, you know, small discussions of could we expand in the future? Vegas has been a big eye for the the league. So that kind of helps. contribute to that. So basically after they've done their group play, I forget how many games that would be. If it's every Tuesday and Friday, I imagine you're getting like without election day, you're probably getting six or seven games somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, So once they've done the group play, the records in those, in those particular games will then be used to figure out the rankings for the second stage uh, quote unquote knockout rounds. And you'll take the best, the team with the best record in each of those six groups that have been drawn. Uh, and then you'll take two wild cards, the two best remaining records from any of the groups. So you'll get eight teams total. You'll rank them. You'll seed them based on their record. And then you'll just have a single elimination term, tournament, one game. Um, and that's something we haven't really had in the NBA. Um, full stop, other than really the play-in tournament. Um, having a tournament that's single elimination uh, would be very interesting to see. And that's what this tournament's going to be. Um, and yeah, the championship doesn't count towards a team's normal 82 game schedule. That's a lot. That's a lot of information having, you know, before they explain this, I personally was kind of skeptical about this whole in season tournament, the way they've explained it. Um, I'm willing to be open. I'm interested to see how this plays out. Wyatt, what are your thoughts maybe either on the general structure of the tournament or what you think it's going to bring to the regular season or at least this upcoming season. Yeah, I, I think that they, you know, structured it well and it's cool that they were able to work it out with uh, retaining the same number of games and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think it, I think it could add a, a really cool aspect of to the regular season because, you know, there, there are a lot of people and, I sometimes it would be included in this group of people that don't watch a lot of NBA up until the playoffs start rolling mm-hmm. around because sometimes, you know, it seems kind of half-hearted and sure. I don't know. You, you could make the argument that it is or isn't, but um, regardless it's there. And so uh, obviously some people feel that way, but adding this in there at least adds that a month where, you know, teams are likely 
trying to compete at a higher level, and I think that could be fun to watch, kind of a, a mid-season explosive time in basketball and then maybe chill out again until the playoffs come around. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I guess if you have to pick a time where maybe you don't have as many clear, you know, things on the forefront, you know, once you get past, I mean, once the season starts, the big ones, as far as like kind of general events, you know, you have the games on Christmas, there's kind of a special field of those games. You turn to the new year and then people start talking about, uh, it's about a month from the all-star game and okay, who are maybe the mm-hmm. all-stars at this point in the season? After that, you get into the playoff push and the, the awards chases, right? So I think doing it in November is probably a great choice because then that gives you something to focus on at that point in the season. Cause it's still pretty early to try and focus on those other things as far as conversations of all-stars and awards and all that stuff. So I think that's a good choice. Now I'm interested about your thoughts on this NBA cup. Do you think, and, and we're getting into the realm of speculation here. If you're a player, right? Let's say you're an all-star level player you know, either one of the the best in the league or or a consistent all star, you know, and you have the chance to win this NBA Cup and you win it. How do you compare that? Is it closer to like an All Star Game MVP or a, a regular season MVP, or is it closer to an actual NBA championship? You know, how do you value <laughs> it? You know, because of course people are always focused on what does this mean for such and such legacy or for their career, how they stack up. How do you think we're going to factor this in now that we have another award to consider? I don't know. I mean, I I could see people looking at it like, eh, it doesn't really matter, but I also could see it being a kind of a cool source of pride. Cause you know, honestly, if you think about it, it's, similar in nature to the to a championship you know with teams have to have to go through a bracket to be you know the number one team in the league it just happens to take place earlier in the in the season right so do do i think it's going to get the prestige of a nba championship no but i think that if players go at it with the right attitude and it's as competitive as they hope it is, I think that it's, you know, just a step behind that. And Mm. and I don't know. I also think it's cool because it kind of, it allows everyone to get some kind of pseudo playoff experience. You know, we, we look at teams like, um, like the Grizzlies last year who, you know, have had some playoff experience, but not really any deep runs Mm -hmm. despite being one of the top teams in the regular season. And I think, you know, having this tournament will allow some of those young teams, teams without that experience to maybe get a little bit of that Mm -hmm. um, competitive experience and and might help them to transition into the playoffs uh, a little bit better 
Absolutely. Yeah, and you make I think that's probably the big one of the bigger takeaways that I hadn't really thought about. You make a great point, you know. Especially you look at obviously the way that we have things set up in your lottery, your teams that have the worst records are going to get the best odds to get the best players, right? But then mm-hmm. it it can be tough to gauge players earlier on if you're a team like say let's take the Pistons for the last couple of years, for example, they drafted Cade Cunningham and then they drafted Jaden Ivey and, and Jalen Duran. You know, they have a lot of younger talent. They have young talent again this year with Asar Thompson now. Um, and the Pistons have been, you know, I'm sure they would like to move towards being more competitive, but they simply have not been competitive compared to a lot of other teams, but there's been plenty of games where, you know, Cade Cunningham has a high, higher scoring game. Jaden Ivey puts up some nice stats. It's like, okay, well, it's good to see the production side of it, but will this translate to making a team better? You know, there's plenty of players we see where they put up some great stats, but do they actually help their team become a contending or a playoff type team? And so I like that aspect of it where, like you said, these group play games are meaningful and even more so once you get into the actual tournament play, you have a good chance for these teams to just based on some group play, you know, slide into a tournament type situation and, and play meaningful games with, you know, a chance to to win a championship or a cup or whatever. Um, and it could be a great growing experience for younger players. Um, so I think that'll be super interesting, you know, and that's that'll kind of lead us here into let's go ahead and tell you what those teams are and what those groups are, because that's really going to be a big part of this. And something that's also very interesting that the teams are different or the the groups rather are different every season based on the previous season's results for the entirety of the regular season. But here's the groups uh, in the Eastern Conference. Group A has the 76ers, the Cavaliers the Hawks, the Pacers, and the Pistons. East Group B, um, Bucks, Knicks, Heat, Wizards, and Hornets. And then in Group C, you have the Celtics, the Nets, the Raptors, the Bulls, the Magic. Um, and again, it's easy to say, okay, well, in these groups, obviously, Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics are probably going to take those groups, and maybe Cavs and Knicks are going to be interesting. So how is it different from the playoffs? Well, if it's built into your regular season, um, and it's only a handful of games that's going to determine the seeding. There's probably a lot more wiggle room for a team to suddenly make a, a run over just a, a few weeks and supplant a team that you would expect to do better. So that's probably where that extra intrigue comes in. Um, in the West, Group A is the Grizzlies, the Suns, the Lakers, the Jazz, and the Trails Trailblazers. Group B is the Nuggets, Clippers, Pelicans, Mavericks, and Rockets. And then Group C is the Kings, Warriors, Timberwolves, Thunder, and Spurs. So those are your groups. And again, it, there's all sorts of storylines you could attach to all these different groups. But um, that'll probably be a storyline to follow once we get into the season, where groups are at, where teams are at in ranking in um, in the regular season, the group play aspect of it why anything jump out at you with those groups or do you think maybe we should kind of shift gears and talk about some of the other changes uh going on with the nba um i don't know i mean i think the groups are pretty straightforward i'm excited to see you know like 
West Group A is um wait, is it A? With the, Yeah, I think I think A will be pretty yes. competitive. You know, you got Lakers, Suns, Grizzlies, all pretty stellar teams, you know, sorry, mm-hmm. Jazz. They could or could not be <laughs> and and C, you know, it's got the Kings and the Warriors and the Timberwolves who are arguably I don't know. I, I think it's I think it'll be really interesting to see who comes out on top on all these. Yeah, absolutely. And and we can speculate, but really it it's brand new to the league. It's brand new to us. No one's really gonna know what it will fully bring until it comes around. So that's just something to look forward to right. with this next season. Um real yeah. quick, let's let's move on. Let's talk on some of the rules changes we now have. And these are things that had already begun uh we'd started some influence with the summer league games and pretty early on in summer league, they actually decided to officially implement these for this upcoming season. They're not my major changes, but they're, they're meaningful. So the first one is um, NBA's board of governors officially approved new in-game flopping penalties. Uh, so firstly, the opposing team will get a technical free throw when uh, a player on the, the, the other team gets uh, charged with a flop um then the player who flopped uh will be charged with an unsportsmanlike or sorry non-unsportsmanlike technical foul so they get the technical they get the other team gets the free throw but that won't count towards ejections but i believe it would still count towards you know season totals for technicals um and again that'll be something we'll have to clarify as we get into the season um and this call also doesn't have to be called right in the moment um, if there's a stoppage in play and the refs decide they want to take another look at something, or if they decide they want, you know, needed to call it, they can call it at a dead ball later on. Um, and so again, I, I remember when they actually did something similar to this, maybe about 10 years ago, when the NBA seemed to have a little bit more of a flopping issue, they, I think introduced something similar in the aspect of, um, a technical foul or something like that. So I think they're just re-emphasizing, trying to make sure there's enough penalties in place within reason to discourage that behavior. So that's the first rule change. Um, and then the second one, the NBA's board of governors officially approved changes to the coaches challenge. Um, basically they're adding a second coaches challenge. If the first challenge is successful. Now the difference is with the second challenge, that one will always charge a timeout. Um, regardless of successful or non-successful to make sure they maintain the flow of the game. They don't slow it down too much more. Um, and the the way the first coach's challenge is structured remains unchanged. So really that's the, the main couple of differences. Um, Wyatt, real quick thoughts on maybe how either of those rules will impact, whether it's going to be a big change, minor change, just general thoughts there. I think the flopping one will actually, you know, maybe work because with the you know when it was just a fine it's like i make millions of dollars every year i don't care if i get fined right you know five thousand dollars or whatever yeah that's what it was it was a fine yeah so i think that the the actual game implementation it could be very interesting for sure um and then the coach's challenge i think i think it'll be good too i you know i don't think one was sufficient at least in my experience last year watching the playoffs i felt like 
there were a lot of opportunities earlier in the game that were like blatant missed calls, but it's mm-hmm. like the coach isn't going to use their challenge because like, unless it's in the fourth quarter, it seemed like. Right. Which is, is the smart thing to do. Don't get me wrong, but it'd be nice to see some of those poor calls reversed earlier too. Right. Even though they still probably won't be, they'll probably just save two for the <laughs> end of the game. But yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah. Having that ability to, you know, make a call, you know, cause the whole game is important. You could have a run in the second quarter or third quarter where it would be impactful to make that, make sure that call is correct to either keep momentum or, or make sure momentum doesn't sway too far the other way. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be good for them to have multiple challenges. And again, to not to have that emphasis on not slowing down the game, the, the timeout is charged either way. You know, I think that's a good, uh, a good compromise to be able to keep doing yeah. it, you know, to make that change. So um, yeah, I agree. yeah, for sure. All right. So the next update, this actually has to do with uh, our favorite video game franchise, um, being pretty facetious there, 2K24. Uh, Kobe Bryant has been announced, though, as the cover athlete for the special editions of 2K24. It's a logical choice, kind of really the only choice with that number, and especially with his recent passing. I, of course, they had also honored him with 2K21, um, but makes perfect sense. Um, one of the, let's see, I got to remember what the additions are. So there's a Kobe Bryant edition which has his um, number eight Froby um, era picture on it. And then the Black Mamba edition, which has a picture from his, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s kind of era, you know, the championships with Pau Gasol. So um, cool to see that. They've also announced uh, Sabrina Ionscu or however you pronounce her name. She's the WNBA edition cover athlete um i think they've announced some of the international versions but they haven't announced oh they've also announced a um 25th anniversary edition uh so that's interesting too but they haven't announced just the normal games cover athlete yet so that's i guess the last thing to watch out for but um yeah small update there um here's an update for the minnesota timberwolves mike conley jr uh he won the last award that needed to be awarded for this past regular season he's been given the 2023 joe dumars nba sportsmanship award um mike conley and drew holiday it feels like those two guys have had kind of a monopoly on you know sportsmanship award teammate of the year award all those kind of things (laughs) um over the last couple seasons but both those guys are you know great guys credits to the nba so congratulations to him for that Now we get into some of the bigger um, transactions and or contracts. And we start with actually a head coach for the San Antonio Spurs. Legendary head coach Greg Popovich has agreed to a five-year contract extension. The terms, their club policy is they don't release the terms of that contract, but the reports are it's reportedly worth more than $80 million total. So um, kind of joining Monty Williams, the new coach of the Pistons in that you know, top, top paid coaches kind of range. Um, a couple of extensions as well for the Atlanta Hawks. DeJounte Murray has agreed to a four year, $120 million contract extension. 
And then for the Detroit Pistons, uh, forward center Isaiah Stewart has agreed to a four-year, $64 million contract extension. So a couple big extensions. The Stewart one, I'm a little surprised, especially with that volume. I like him a lot as a player. Um, you know, hopefully he's a big contributor for them. Um, but Murray, of course, that's pretty expected. Um, and then we had a few trades, uh, actually a lot of trades to cover in the you know time between the last episode and this one. Firstly, Dallas is getting, uh, they got Grant Williams from the uh, Boston Celtics and it was a sign and trade. So he's now on a new four year, $54 million contract. So Grant Williams joining the Mavericks, either as that starting small forward or coming off the bench as a key bench piece. Um, but yeah, big sign and trade. Um, and they're also getting two future second round picks from the Boston Celtics. Uh, what do the Celtics get out of this? Well, they receive two second round picks themselves uh, in 2024 and 2028, as well as a second round pick swap in 2025. That comes from the Dallas Mavericks. Um, and then in all of this, San Antonio is taking on Reggie Bullock from the Mavericks and an unprotected 2030 first round pick swap. I want to say that's probably from Boston, but it's hard to say. So interesting moves. Some picks get moved around and basically uh, the Mavericks send Reggie Bullock to the Spurs and in, in order to get Grant Williams from the Celtics. Um, will that be an impact move? I don't know. I kind of like Grant Williams, <laughs> but seems like kind of a lot. Why? What are your thoughts on, on that trade? Cause that's one of the bigger ones we had. Yeah, I I don't love Grant Williams. <laughs> he kind of annoyed me in the playoff. But uh yeah, so I I You're think that the Celtics played it played it well, I guess. Yeah. For the Celtics sake. Okay. Well, and he yeah. has that moment he's not gonna be able to live down with it was a regular season, but they're playing the Cavs, and he says to Donovan Mitchell, it's like a clutch free throw situation. Oh, I'll make them both. And he missed both, and uh, <laughs> that's that's going to be tough to live down. But I kind of like I kind of yeah. like Grant Williams. You know, sometimes you've got to be willing to be wrong in those instances just to, you know, at least fake it till you make it with the confidence. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's and there was the whole thing with Jimmy Butler, where he's yeah. like, you know, getting in his face and stuff, and then Jimmy just demolished him. Yeah, that's true. But you know, I I kind of like him. I'd like to see him have a nice impact with Dallas. Um, so that's one move. The other one, uh, well, the next one, uh, Houston sending Kenya Martin jr. To the Clippers in exchange for two future first round picks. That feels kind of low. And I know that Kenny Martin jr. Or KJ Martin hasn't done a lot in his first few seasons in the NBA, but he's got a high upside. He's an athletic kid, you know, um, shown had some nice moments for Houston, I mean, for the Clippers, I think it's a nice addition, but I'm curious why Houston would give him up. Maybe I guess just they have so much young talent that maybe he's kind of not quite fitting in, but that's an interesting one. Um, so, yeah, I don't know why, if you had thoughts on that one, but. No, it is interesting, but go yeah, ahead. For sure. Um, this next one, uh, basically just moving around a lot of picks. Memphis sent three second round picks in 25, 28, and 29 to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for forward Isaiah Todd and two first round pick swaps, 24 and 20, uh, 2020, sorry, 2024 and 2030. Both of those are the lowest of either the Suns or the Wizards picks that the picks can get really, uh, confusing at times and the way they package them in trades, but interesting one. I mean, I don't know. 
it's really kind of a nothing move, I guess, but um, there's probably more to it and I'm just too ignorant to know. Uh, so let's move on to uh, Oklahoma city. They sent uh, Patty Mills to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for Dwayne Washington, Jr. Usman Garuba, Rudy Gay, and a second round pick. And it was a lot. And I think it was really the thunder getting the advantage in being able to get rid of the Patty Mills contract, I guess, which is kind of confusing to me because I felt like he was still a productive player. He had been traded from Brooklyn to Oklahoma city, now traded to Atlanta. Um, and he gets traded later on as well. Um, and we'll touch on that in just a moment. Um, and then the Phoenix suns, the, these couple are from the last just a couple of days, actually the suns made some big moves over just basically one day. Firstly, they sent Cameron Payne, a second round pick and cash to the San Antonio Spurs in exchange for just a future second round pick. Then Orlando sent three second round picks to the Phoenix Suns in exchange for a 2026 first round pick swap. And then uh, before all this, Orlando had waived Bull Bull. He became an unrestricted free agent and the Phoenix Suns signed him to a guaranteed one year deal. No uh, specifics, I believe, on the dollar amount. But basically, the Suns, including that one Memphis trade, they got rid of Isaiah Todd and Cameron Payne, moved some picks around, and then they brought in Bull Bull. I like Bull Bull a lot, and I feel like he could be productive for Phoenix, but I'm really confused why they would give up Cameron Payne, who was a productive point guard for them, and really they're by far the best point guard, pure point guard, kind of on the roster um, the reports are they're going to start Bradley Beal as their point guard, Devin Booker at the shooting guard, probably like Josh Okogie at the small forward, Durant, and then DeAndre Ayton, which I guess works. I'm not I'm not t- entirely skeptical of Bradley Beal as a point guard, but it's interesting. I don't know. And and with that, we can maybe real quick just take a glance at the Suns roster now that they've done most of the constructing that they needed to with all the moves. So yeah, Beal, Booker, Okogie, Durant, and Aiton. This is a projected lineup. Off the bench, Damian Lee, Eric Gordon, Yuta Watanabe, Bol Bol, Drew Eubanks, and then the other guys, Jordan Goodwin, Ishmael Wainwright, Keta Bates Diop, Tumani Kamara, the rookie, and Chemezi Metu. Wyatt, your thoughts on that roster and their depth come playoff time. I'm curious your thoughts on that. Um, I think it's a pretty solid roster. I, th- I think that they definitely could use more depth, but they're not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm guessing you already talked about the Chris Paul to the Warriors and them ditching Jordan Poole. Yeah, we I think we broke that on our last up. Well, not broke it. I mean, it, it had been out for a couple of days at that point, but we discussed it on the last episode of the podcast. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I I think they're I think they have a solid roster. Um, and I'm interested to see Bradley Bill fit in that role because mm-hmm. well, yeah, when I I don't. I mean, he might be, but I don't. I don't really think of him as a big distributor, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've thought of him more as a as a shooter and scorer. So, you know, it seemed like Chris Paul was a better fit alongside Durant than mm-hmm. than Bill is. But I don't know; it could work. Yeah, and honestly, it looks like it could work a lot better than I'm giving it credit for. 
if you look at, I just looked up because I was curious, and I know that assist average is not always the purest indicator, but it's at least a general idea, right? Um, and you really? take his average from the past four seasons. Granted, he's played maybe 55 to 60% of the games he could have played in that time, but he's been great, mm-hmm. and especially 2020 and 2021, where he averaged about 30 points a game. Across the last four seasons, he's averaging about five and a half assists a game, which is not terrible at all, you know, and especially you compare if he's going to be that scoring point guard, you compare him to a more favorable comparison like a uh, Damian Lillard, maybe, you know, that's not too far off. Mm -hmm. And so that could probably work a lot better than I'm thinking. I'm just kind of, you know, my old school brain is too rigid about he's a shooting guard. He's he's not a point guard and you know, <laughs> positionless basketball. But anyways, I, I was going to say my thoughts on the depth. You know, I don't hate it either. I'm a little less enthused maybe than you are. I mean, I, I like a lot of their bigger pieces. Bowl, Watanabe, you know, Eubanks is solid. Diop looks like he's a good one. Just the whole guard thing. I feel like, you know, especially in today's game, guards are important and They've got two of the greatest shooting guards of the last 10 years, obviously. But outside of that, Damian Lee and aging Eric Gordon and Jordan Goodwin and technically Josh Okogi, I feel like they could have gotten a little more. I mean, let's look at the free agents there are mm-hmm. in the guards. Like even someone, a younger guy, I guess maybe the contract would have been bigger, but like Jalen Noel, I would have even felt better about Goran Dragic, bring him back to Phoenix or like George Hill, you know, some, I mean, there's guys out there. Maybe it's not as abundant as I thought, but Terrence Davis, that would have been a great pick. You bring in Terrence Davis, who had some nice moments for the Kings last, this past playoffs, you know, bring him in on a a smaller contract. He's a a, a hard working guard off the bench. Who's going to really bring it come playoff time. That could have been a great move, but anyways, Mm -hmm. those are my general thoughts. You know, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to talk about that with our upcoming season. But um, with that, let's go ahead and shift into the remaining stuff to talk about the main remaining big transactions. Uh, Portland Trailblazers. Uh, so the Dallas Mavericks had uh, had done a. Uh, oh, I I didn't <laughs> I didn't ever complete this uh, note. Do you want to hear what I wrote down? Yes, I wrote um, the Trailblazers have matched the Mavericks three year. $33 million offer sheet. And that's where it ends. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Self. We're talking about Matisse Seibel. I remember this one. So, yeah, the Mavericks off- made an offer sheet on Matisse Seibel. Uh, the Trailblazers matched it, so he's going to stay on the roster. Not a terrible contract, and he's a player I really like. And, uh, you know, the defensive ability, you know, hardworking guy, Um you know, we can throw out all the stereotypes or not stereotypes, but, you know, um, overused phrases, the blue collar and all that stuff. But he, I like him um, again. It's interesting if you're going to bring back that most of that core. I mean, they brought back Jeremy Grant um, and all of that. They add Scoot Henderson, of course. But if you're going to bring all that back and try to keep Lillard and or hold on to him until you have the best offer available. I don't know, just kind of interesting thing. And then in the arena of offer sheets, uh, the, the Sixers, or, or sorry, the Jazz made an offer sheet on 
restricted free agent Paul Reed, who was with the 76ers. And they made a really interesting one. It was a three-year, $23 million offer sheet. But the final two years, there was a stipulation in the contract. The final two years had to be guaranteed if that if his team that he was with made it past the first round of the playoffs. Um, and so now the Sixers match that with the Jazz. It's like, oh, well, they're kind of building. Maybe they make the playoffs or maybe they're good in the playoffs or maybe not. But now that the Sixers matched it, that's a team that expects to be at least in the second round and has been in the second round for the past few years. So now they kind of, oddly enough, the Jazz forced the Sixers to guarantee this contract on a, a backup big. I'm not sure who who gets what advantage where. It's just more funny than anything to like <laughs> strong arm a team like, oh, you're going to, we kind of like this guy. You're going to guarantee his contract if you're going to match it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Ultimately, Sixers keep Paul Reed, and I like him. I feel like he's a good – he could develop even into the best backup option for Joella Bead. To be honest, with you, he's still very young. He's had some great moments for the Sixers. You know, good size, and so I like that move for them to keep him on and still not a terrible contract. I mean, 7 or $8 million a year, not bad at all. Um the last bit of news in the contract arena, the Chicago Bulls, they have been granted their request for a $10.2 million disabled player exception uh, in response to Lonzo Ball not being able to play this season. So they'll be able to use that, I believe, either free agents or, you know, clearing up space, something in that regard. But um, that's really the big transactions. And again, we'll cover kind of the bigger outlooks on rosters and a little later on in the episode, but why any kind of closing thoughts on those transactions that we blitz through before we jump to the remaining items we have. Uh, remind me Lonzo balls surgery. What did he get done? So it's just that knee that has been, that has kept him out for the okay. past season or two. So, and yeah, just re uh, I think he had re aggravated it at some point again. And, um, now is just, you know, it, it's, it's really concerning as far as his long-term ability to ever get back on the court, which I hate to say that because he's, he's been a stellar player, especially with Chicago, but, um, yeah, it's something we'll just kind of have to see, I guess, but, um, mm. yeah. So, um, well, it'll also, uh, excuse me. It'll also be interesting to see what Chicago does with that exception, um, as far as roster moves, but that that's. Yeah. All all the things on that front. Let's jump into some other news real quick. Just a few more items for the Lakers. LeBron James will be changing his jersey number back from number six to number twenty three. Um, of course, he had been grandfathered in after the league retired the number six um, across the entire NBA in honor of Bill Russell after his passing. But since LeBron was already wearing that number, he was grandfathered in. He could keep wearing it. But he decided to switch to number 23 anyways to respect Bill Russell. So I think that's a that's a good move Um, for the Orlando Magic. uh, Anthony Parker has been named the new GM uh, in that franchise. John Hammond. Meanwhile, he then ascends to a senior or just moves rather to a senior advisor. Ascends. Ascends. I, I don't know if it's really a higher move or, you know, kind of a lateral move. Um, but he's now the senior advisor to the president of basketball operations. 
And now Pete D'Alessandro, he is elevated to the executive vice president. So some front office moving there with the magic. Anthony Parker, he has not been retired that long. I want to say he played as recently as 2013. So it's just interesting to see guys like him, Kyle Korver, James Jones was another one. He's He was the first of them, really. But guys that haven't been retired very long being big parts of front offices. But, um, you know. They certainly know the game, so I guess nothing wrong with that. Um, last couple of items. Uh, the NBA Coaches Association has honored Brendan Malone with the 2023 Tex Winter Assistant Coach Lifetime Impact Award. Uh, for those who don't know Tex Winter, he was he's often credited as the architect of the triangle offense and was an assistant on most all of Phil Jackson's championship staffs. So one of probably the greatest assistant assistant coach of all time. Um, And then Brendan Malone, interestingly enough, is actually the father of one Michael Malone, who just won a championship with the Denver Nuggets. Brendan Malone, meanwhile, has been a head coach a few different times in the NBA, but again, mainly an assistant. He was actually a head coach one or two years in Cleveland uh, for the first years that LeBron was in the NBA. So, He's had a pretty uh, storied life. He's his son has now won an NBA championship, and he's now a lifetime assistant coach Impact Award winner. So congratulations to him. Finally, this last tidbit related to summer league, and this is going to segue us right into summer league conversation. Uh, the opening weekend of this year's summer league, the Two K Twenty Four Summer League, was the most watched ever. Um, so that's a cool fact. And yeah. with that, let's jump right into summer league talk. Um, why I want to kind of both of us were talking about the fact that we didn't get a chance to watch a lot of full games. Um, <clears throat> maybe I'll lead off real quick with just my personal recap of, I think I mentioned it on the previous episode. Um, it was actually later that day. I remember it was the third. I fortunately did have the chance to go to one day of the Salt Lake City Summer League and watch two of the games. So I'm going to talk about that for just a second. And after that, I'm going to kind of pass the torch over to Wyatt so he can just share some of the things that he's seen um, as far as, you know, social media posts or any kind of the the biggest takeaways. Um, So my little my little spiel will hopefully give him time to kind of prepare on that. So, um with that, yeah, so we I was able to go up with uh, a couple of my family members. We saw uh, it was the very first day, and the extra great note is the very first event to be hosted in the now newly renamed Delta Center, so that was a lot of fun. Um, they had some promotional pictures they were handing out to people walking in. I grabbed one. I have it hanging up on my wall now. Um, it's kind of a low-quality picture, but that's – uh, that's besides the point. Um, we saw the first game was the Sixers and the Grizzlies. Um, and there was a lot of interesting things there. There was a handful of players. I had no idea who they were. Um, and that's kind of true. Most summer league teams. Um, but there was plenty of things to like uh, Jaden Springer for the Sixers. I guess he was the G league MVP and or G league championship game MVP this past season. Um, he looked very poised. I wouldn't be surprised to see him at the very least get another two-way contract with the Sixers, if not, you know, get a bigger contract, a more guaranteed full-term contract with the Sixers as a 
you know, a reserve guard. He really showed some great poise and athleticism there. I liked what I saw from him for the Grizzlies. Um, Kenneth Lofton was a fan favorite again, just because he's a bigger body and can do a lot of different things. Um, but he impressed, um, David Roddy had some big moments late. Um, there was some big elevation from the guy. Oh, what was his name? The undrafted Ricky council. Um, some big elevation and they also had some big shots from Turquavion Smith. Um, so there was a lot to like, especially from the Sixers, but I think they ended up losing the game. The Grizzlies kind of brought it back. LaRavia hit some shots. Um, Gregory Jackson. I liked what I saw from him, the rookie, um, some athleticism, but of course that was the appetizer to the main course of the evening for the 90% or 80% jazz fans in attendance, where it was the jazz versus the thunder, the return of Chet Holmgren after he was injured before the season even began last year. And uh, he showed some rust. He showed, you know, obviously the things that excite people about his prospect coming into the NBA. He showed a little bit of a scruff facial hair thing that was uh, that needs some work. But, um, <laughs> you know, he, he looked he looked good. In, in a few different ways. So I, I think that was interesting to see. Um, of course, Taylor Hendricks and um, Bryce Sensabaugh, two of the Jazz's three first round picks, they didn't play there, nor did they play for any of the summer league games because they've had injuries um, earlier in the year. And they're just kind of exercising ultimate caution, which I get a little disappointing, but I get it. So, so we saw Keontae George, Ochai Agbaji, those are the main two. We had some of the late season signings like Luca Shamanich and Vernon Carey Jr. And uh, Micah Potter, the two-way guy. And I saw a lot of great things. I liked Agbaji with his physicality and athleticism. Keontae George, especially in the second half, his athleticism, some speed, but his scoring ability and, you know, kind of taking the ball, leading, leading the offense. Uh, Micah Potter, kind of a stretch four, stretch five, Worked hard, Vernon Carey, big and physical. Um, and then who's the other guy I didn't mention? Shamanich. Um, kind of a stretch four as well. He'd be, he's interesting. I'm curious to see what he's able to do this upcoming season. Um, of course, there was a big poster by Trey Mann. Um, I was talking with Light about it, and I'd forgotten about the fact that not only was the poster on Micah Potter, but it was an inbound play where Micah Potter's trying to inbound the ball for the Jazz. Trey Mann steals it from him, instantly drives in, and dunks right in Micah Potter's face. <laughs> and it's one of those where you start to go up, and then you get your offhand and arm on the defender to then push yourself up, and you get that second boost of elevation. And he absolutely packed it. And to be there and see that firsthand i was like i was stunned i i couldn't speak it was such a good poster the whole arena was with me too everyone was excited no one cared about the the next play or two everyone was just watching the screens wanting to see a replay it was stellar that's one of the best dunks probably the best dunk i've seen in person but um yeah trey man had a good game jalen williams that's len and the other jalen williams as well both of them showed the poise you'd expect from guys that had serious NBA minutes last season going now into their sophomore seasons. The, the higher drafted Jalen Williams, L E N he was 
stout. He looked so much more like an NBA body compared to some of the other guys. But um, yeah, Holmgren again, he was interesting and uh, great experience. I picked up uh, a little felt pennant thing and uh, a free water bottle. And um, I brought my autograph book with the intention of trying to get some signatures. Um, that was what I did the last time I went to summer league. When I went the last time I was able to get uh, Jerry Stackhouse Brian Winters and Quinn Snyder and Chris Morris. But um, I decided this time to just actually you just sit back and enjoy the experience. Plus the whole time we were sitting there, we had pretty close seats and there was a security guy standing nearby, just like in the middle of the rows. And he was looking up at the stands and it felt like the whole time I was just like looking at this guy with like the sternest face I've ever seen. And I'm like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to risk standing up trying to track down somebody to get a signature. But I saw um, just across from us, Daryl Morey, the GM of the Sixers, or I guess technically the president of the Sixers. Uh, Sam Presti was actually just, you know, a few seats over in a different row. Um, of course, the GM of the Thunder. We saw across the court Danny Ainge and um, Will Hardy. Um, and then I didn't see the Grizzlies GM, but we saw a couple of other guys. But yeah, just didn't do the autograph thing. But overall, great experience. Saw some interesting things from the jazz players in particular. But why I'm going to turn it over to you now. Let's get a generalized, you know, just kind of what you saw on Summer League um, throughout the last couple of weeks. All right. Yeah. So I, most of my sources have just been from old Instagram, giving me highlights and of all of the happenings of the summer league. And some of the things I saw were, I also saw the dunk by Trey man on our jazz guy, mm. uh, which you let, like Karsten mentioned was an awesome dunk. And then there's also the highlight of Kai Jones throwing one down on the big name, you know, that everyone knows. Oh, this right. Summer draft, Victor Wimanyama. Uh, so that was, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. Do you feel like happy that Victor Wimanyama gets humbled a little bit or do you feel bad for him? I don't you know, because I get would, so much attention. I don't know. I kind of, I, I kind of lean a little more towards feeling bad because, like, it's not like he's been ultra braggadocious. I mean, right? He's, yeah, he's confident in himself, but he's also kind of quiet and knows that there's a lot of expectations. So, anyways, yeah. So, yeah, that happened. Regardless of you know how you feel as a listener about that, sure. <laughs> but yeah, he got he got posterized. Um, not he wasn't even like attempting to block it though. He was just kind of running backwards, mm-hmm. and it happened to get thrown down on. Um, running backwards meaning like running toward the hoop. Sorry, right? No, you. Uh, other in other news, this is kind of smaller but kind of significant. Tevian Jones had a sixteen-point game. Um for the Pelicans and he is actually an alumni of Southern Utah university, which is Karsten and I's alma mater. So that is kind of cool. To, Absolutely. I mean, 
go he Thunderbirds. Was there last year. Yeah, he was there <laughs> last year with with me playing his senior year. So I believe yeah, I'm pretty sure he was a senior. Uh did I ever go and watch him play? I did not, but I I heard <laughs> a lot about him while I was there. Yeah. I unfortunately never got out to one of the men's games because of conflict of schedule and stuff, but did you go to um, the women's game? I did I did go to one women's game. Cuz um SUU of course not really a big the biggest thing we've had in sports is our football teams were pretty competitive maybe about 5 or 6 years ago. Um but this past year with both, you know, uh whack tournaments and like cuz our women's team slipped into March Madness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so we had some some crazy, you know, playoff type basketball for college for both men's and women's SUU that we hadn't had before. So that's why why I asked him about the women's. Yep. Yeah, and they they did play well, and they should be really good again um, because they lost they lost one girl who you know was arguably the best player. So so there mm. is that, but. Otherwise, they didn't lose anyone and are remaining really strong. Whereas the guys basically lost everyone, so right, you know, not not much to see next year, likely. But and I think they even know, lost their head I, coach. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> true. They lost their head coach and one of their main big men. Both went um, to Bowling Green. So gotcha. Yeah, uh, I guess that's a little off topic, but. Um, that was kind of cool for Karsten and I, I guess, to have a fellow alum having some having a big game in the summer mm-hmm. league. Absolutely. Um. Otherwise, yeah, like County George is being quite the quite the player here for the Jazz. He's pretty electric. Mm-hmm. Um, and you already talked about Chet Holcomb and a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that. I have also seen, you know, of course, we'll likely see the same things from the summer league because there's only so much, you know, crazy summer league news. Yeah. And highlights. Yeah. You're not going to see everything, but that was really, of course, for us as jazz fans, Keontae George, we're really keying in on that. Um, No pun Mm -hmm. intended, but um, (laughs) no, I, I am excited with what I saw there. You know, I mean, 16th overall, I'm not saying that he's going to win rookie of the year, that he's going to be the best player in the drafts, but I'm saying at the very least, it feels like he could very well be, you know, an all rookie first team guy and has easily the ceiling to be an all-star level point guard, a high level scoring point guard. And I really like that, you know, a perfect point guard for the modern game. I mean, his best game, he had 33 points and 10 assists. And he's catching lobs and, you know, looks poised. He's got a great smile. I don't know. There's something about him where I'm I'm excited. I can't wait to see him out on the floor. Because if you can get him, you have Clarkson on an extension, Markinen, Walker Kessler. That's a pretty great core. And Clarkson, of course, is older. But those those are all younger guys. I mean, Markinen's still fairly young, that is. And so... I kind of like that, you know, and I'm I'm excited. Yeah. I feel like this jazz turnaround could be a little bit faster than maybe we're thinking. Not saying they're going to be ultra competitive this next season 
either, but I feel like they could slip into a play in spot very easily. So, yeah, so I'm excited. And about didn't that. they just pick up like uh, John Collins or something? They did. Yeah. Really? My reservation with John Collins is, of course, the reason a lot of people are speculating that his play has declined is he had surgery on a finger. And if you look at the picture since he had injured the finger, it's it's always looked messed up since then. And in his media shoots with the jazz, the finger looked messed up. And so I'll wait to see on John Collins. I like John Collins, but I just am a little more hesitant. Um, And they recently signed uh, Omer Yurt seven, who is with the heat. So they're just adding more center depth. So, and we can go over the jazz roster with some of the other teams in just a moment, but um, yeah, Keontae George, of course, when Benyama was a big story. Um, Did you hear about the whole Britney Spears thing? I actually did not. I was just uh I was just looking that up. You're like, what the heck she does got, Britney Spears have to do with Wembenyama? In the face as she approaches. So let me t- let me tell you the saga of Victor Wembenyama okay. and Britney Spears. <laughs> so please do. I, so I get an ESPN notification that says, um, oh, what are, I think it was Wembenyama's camp first, saying that Britney Spears came up from behind and tried to grab Wenbanyama and the security team, his security team, you know, struck her or knock her back or whatever it was. I want to say that was the first headline. It's, it's been a little while. And then there was an update where it was Britney Spears and her people. And they're saying that she was trying to go up to introduce herself, get a picture, get an autograph, whatever. And out of nowhere, the security struck her right both these sound very egregious and i'm like right what in the world there one of them i think she was maybe like gonna try and like press charges i don't know what the deal was i can't remember who said what so finally the video gets leaked and you know what happens (laughs) it's the most anticlimactic thing so basically she kind of half runs like you know just a little light jog back behind him and, you know, he, he doesn't notice her. So she's trying to go up and, you know, and gives attention or grab him or whatever. And the security team's not looking at her. You know, they just kind of brush a hand backwards behind him. Like whoever this is, you know, step back, get away and ends up hitting her in the face. And that's it. <laughs> that's the whole thing. <laughs> and the way they reported it was like she walked up to him. And they were facing each other and the security team stepped out and like backhanded her across the face. Like <laughs> they described it so more, much more dramatically than what actually <laughs> happened. Uh-huh. It's like, it's just a misunderstanding. Like people need to relax a little bit. Never. Not with a potential headline on the, <laughs> I mean, that is a headline. Like you're talking about the number one pick. And if you're Britney Spears, like you never really, aren't popular in a sense but like she's been more popular at other times so i get that aspect of it like hey let's milk this for what it's worth but it's a little silly i just found the video (laughs) yeah i know right it's just the most like overblown thing but um anyways that is the tale of Victor Wenbanyama and Britney Spears. 
I just, I just never would have thought of all people, Britney Spears. Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, I can't help but think of The Office every time I hear that. But yeah, <laughs> regardless, yeah. So when Benyama, of course, was the main focus, the arena. I felt bad for the team that the teams that were playing prior to that game. That game was the Rockets and the Trailblazers. It was Scoot Henderson and Amen Thompson, the three and four picks facing off. And um, they both got injured in the course of that game, which was a downer because they never really played for the rest of the summer league. Both of them looked very strong in that game, especially Scoot Henderson. He looked ready to play in the NBA right then and there. He was hitting everything, pure stroke, strong, poised. I liked what I saw out of Scoot Henderson. And he's wearing double zero, which I think if they keep Lillard, and you have a backcourt tandem of zero and double zero. That alone, I'd be excited to see, regardless of the <laughs> players. But um, no, yeah, he was great. Almond Thompson was great. Um, but that whole game, the fans, it felt like they were just waiting for that one to end. So it could be Spurs Hornets and they could see one Manyama. Um, and it looked like it had the potential to go over, go to overtime. And then they get it to Jabari Smith Jr. for this ridiculous leaning game winning three. And he had like 30 something points on the game. And he's like, Hey, don't forget about me. I was just like the number two or three pick in last year's draft. People forgot mm-hmm. about me, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm a high talent too. So anyways, but yeah, we got into the game itself and when Minyama wasn't terrible, but it was obvious that he's, you know, needed to get adjusted to a, a new style of play and um, was maybe a little rusty and or a little nervous any or all of the above. Um, had some blocks, had some rebounds, didn't have a lot of scoring, struggled to shoot the ball. Got, like you said, got dunked on by Kai Jones. Um, but in the second game, he really stepped up. I think he had like 20 something points, 10 plus rebounds, like five, three or four blocks, you know, really showed why he's that high talent. And then they're like, the Spurs said, okay, we're good. We're not going to play him anymore. He's played two games. Let's make sure he's not going to risk injury, which I get, I'm not necessarily a fan, but um, yeah. And then Brandon Miller, this number two pick kind of gets lost in the shuffle here. He had some off games, um, didn't look as stellar compared to some of his contemporaries. Showed off some athleticism though. I mean, he had some great dunks, some power dunks. So credit to him there. Um, And then, uh, you know, we had all sorts of games after that, you know, games mostly every day. Um, The championship actually just, finished up two days ago that was the 17th and let's real quick run through the awards related to everything summer league firstly we had uh our summer league mvp that was cam whitmore the uh potentially steal of the draft for the houston rockets all summer league teams your first team is cam whitmore Keontae george sam merrill orlando robinson and hunter tyson and then your second team is jabari smith jr max christie amani bates Jalen Wilson, Xavier Moon, and Javon Freeman Liberty. Uh, those are your all summer league teams. Of course, in the summer league championship on the 17th, you had the Cleveland Cavaliers playing the Houston Rockets, and the Cavaliers won that one. And the championship MVP was Isaiah Mobley. So those are all your award winners. We've talked about some of the key performers. Um, let's just real quick highlight some names of some guys that showed some intrigue, some things to watch out for. Firstly, for the Lakers, Demoy Hodge. Um, fantastic name, but, uh, one comp I saw was Contavious Caldwell Pope. 
just a, a, a sizable guard who can hit the threes and be aggressive defensively. Um, could be a piece, a piece for the Lakers, maybe a two-way contract. We'll have to see what happens there. Again, Chet Holmgren, we talked about him. We talked Jaden's, uh, I talked Jaden Springer. Terry Eason had a really strong start in that first game for Houston. Wanted to shout out him. Michael DeVoe was a name that got talked about, especially uh, Stephen A, uh, not Stephen A, uh, Steve Smith. Um, he was with the Portland Trailblazers. Lights out three, three-point three shooting. Uh, could be a piece to watch out for for them. Uh, then we had uh, Jared Butler, formerly of the Jazz, now of the of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Point guard there. I like his play. And Isaiah Jackson, I wanted to give him credit. That is a name I haven't really seen with Summer League talk, but he led Summer League in rebounding average. He only played two games, but he averaged 12 and a half rebounds, one and a half blocks. I want to see him, whether it's with the Pacers or somewhere else, I want to see him get a chance to be a bigger rotational guy because every time he plays, I feel like he puts up good stats and I like his style of play. Isaiah Jackson, I want to see him get some some chances. But um, those were the ones that I had really notes for, and we can double-check, see what I might have missed here. Um, Jabari Smith Jr. had the highest points-per-game average. He averaged 35 points over two games. After that, it was Orlando Robinson, the center from heat four games 25.8 points per game um oh and he was 35 percent from three i didn't know he had that stretch element to his game 9.3 rebounds 3.8 assists wow he had a great game or great uh series rather um yeah i mean that that's a lot of the key guys you know with the Cavs, we can talk sam merrill was electric from three he attempted 11 threes a game and shot 44 percent that's pretty great. Um, Imani Bates was a nice uh, player for them, as was Isaiah Mobley. Um, a lot of great stuff to see for the Cavs, of course. But um, that's really most of it. I mean, again, Cavs won the championship. You got all sorts of things and stats to come over with the players. But now we go into hibernation, I guess, as far as waiting until the off season. Why any thoughts you want to give as we kind of wrap up our summer league segment real quick? Um, nothing except for that. I'm, I'm excited to see what the next season holds. Of course, really excited to see how the in season tournament uh, plays out. See if we get that boost in the intensity mid season that we are hoping for, or, you know, if it kind of falls flat, which hopefully it doesn't, but either way, it's going to be interesting to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I think that's, I'm with you. I think that's really going to be the thing to watch. Let's take one quick second to browse through the rosters updated from the third, been updating them continually. Make sure I'm not missing any other big signings. I know we had Malik Beasley to the bucks. Nice three point shooting depth there. We had for the nothing for the Cavs, the Celtics, nothing. The Clippers, of course, had that trade. Um, what else do we have? And I, I know this is great for the listening audience to hear me. Hmm, haws. I'm trying to figure out which moves happened and which ones haven't. I mentioned Omer Yurt Seven to the Jazz. 
Again, that's an interesting one. Their depth now, I feel like they're really loaded in their front court and the back court is a little more of a question mark. They also re-signed Johnny Juzang to a two-way contract. Um, we had uh, Nerlens Noel in the last couple of days. He's signing with the Kings, gives them some defensive depth. Um, other than that, we probably don't have a ton of other items. The Magic might have made a move. Yeah, the Magic, who did they sign? Um, oh, sorry, they they waived Bull Bull. That's what it was, just the, the Bull Bull waving him. And yeah, I think that's really most everything. Um, why anything that you can think of within the last week or two that we maybe would not have covered on the podcast yet? Uh, nothing that I can think of, but. You know, there's probably something. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and I, I think I forgot to update with the Patty Mills trade because they had traded him to um, Atlanta. And then I think Atlanta had traded him to Houston and then Houston waived him, if I remember correctly. Or maybe he's... I want to say he had moved to four different teams, but now he's actually... It looks like he was with Atlanta. Let me double check. Um, yes, right now he's still on the Hawks. So that's his current resting place, but yeah, three or four different teams he'd moved to in the course of the off season, which is pretty wild. Um, of yeah. course, Cameron Payne and Reggie Bullock, both joining the Spurs. We talked about the sun's depth. The thunder have plenty of players they've added. They kind of need to whittle down their roster a little bit. Um, but it looks like that's really it. So we're up to date pretty much on our rosters we've talked summer league we've talked news let's real quick get things wrapped up before we go too much longer um and talk our first season of the podcast as a whole we're at the the finish line there for season one Wyatt looking back maybe let's talk um let's get some early returns on what we're gonna look to improve or keep doing with season two you know where do you think we we did well with the podcast and what do you think we could maybe work on as we move forward? Um, as far as did well, I think we, you know, had a pretty decent variety of some segments, not to say that, that we uh, completely maxed out our potential. I think it'd be fun to add a couple other unique segments and, you know, maybe bring back like our 20 questions or something like that to do every once in a while to mix it up. But I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, what we did do, we had a decently good uh, amount of segments and they were pretty organized in what day and everything we did them. That being said, we could probably be more consistent, at least I know myself. I There were plenty of days that I missed um, and you know hopefully this year that will not happen because I'm done with school mm. and just working but you know that's one aspect for me and in addition to keeping more up to date like actually watching a lot of games and stuff that's another thing I hope to do with my additional time this year mm. that I think will add to the podcast Absolutely. I, I'm with you there as far as I definitely could have watched a lot more actual games to get a better feel for things. Um, 
And, you know, I get what you're saying about the consistency thing, but I think, you know, all me and you and Justin, as far as, well, me, especially as the one who kind of initiates the podcast, you know, gets things going every night early on, we really struggled with that. I mean, we had the first several weeks where we were doing one or two podcasts a week when we had a plan Mm -hmm. to do five, you know, one every weeknight. Um, And so doing the consistency throughout the regular season, I think is going to be a big one. I mean, we're ending with like what a hundred and Oh, I don't even know. hundred and something episodes, 130 maybe um, for the season one, which probably should have been closer to like 200. Um, And so that's something I would definitely want to work on. And like you said, having greater variety of segments, I think that would do us well. And that's definitely going to be in the pipeline as we get into our season two planning. Um, But like, you know, I, I agree as far as I feel like we had a lot of good segments, some interesting things. I think one of our best things was, um the little competitions especially when we got into the postseason having us do our own brackets i think that was kind of fun even though that competition got decided a little bit early um i think it was still a fun exercise and we definitely i think all of us learned a lot about what to predict in maybe next year's playoff bracket um and while we're on the subject i don't think i had ever mentioned the fact that we did finalize an award for the winner of that host bracket challenge. Um, of course, Wyatt was the winner and I did get a custom little trophy made up for him. He got it um, probably a couple months ago at this point. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I'll make sure that we, we get that picture. We'll post it on the, the Instagram page. So we have that, uh, visual for you guys what that trophy looked like and so we can know about it going forward but um yeah i i feel like we had some great segments we can definitely add some more add add some variety and i think that gives us a good starting point um among a lot of other things to to expound on and to grow with the upcoming season of the podcast when it comes to season two what information can we give you right now well really just the fact that we're in the planning phase we have a lot of things that we can discuss we've gotten started tonight of course on that but um we'll talk off and on during this little break in between seasons about what we want to do with it as far as you the listening audience is concerned um any announcements and or schedules related to what season two will hold that's going to be coming on the instagram page and that's a good time for us to plug that for you uh it's crossover across time all one word on instagram no capital letters On that page, we do our best to like and share content from across the NBA, also sharing content from the podcast specifically. It's a great place to kind of um, support the podcast itself, um, to have supplemental information, you know, get both both of those helping you out, keeping you up to date with the NBA and also hopefully get the historic perspective that we aim to provide. Um, That's one last closing thought about season two. I'd like us to have a little bit more of that historic emphasis. You know, we did it every day with our This Day in History, or most days with our This Day in History fact. We did it with our franchise focus, but I think we could probably do a little bit more laced throughout each episode to make sure we're doing that aspect, which is what our podcast is supposed to be defined by and what hopefully separates us a little bit from other NBA type podcasts. So that's maybe my closing thoughts. Why any thoughts real quick before we give them our last 
this day in history fact for this season? No, I don't think so. Okay, perfect. Let's go ahead and give you that one. This one is short and sweet to end things off very nicely. Uh, We're going back a hundred years for this one. 1923, uh, June, or sorry, July 19th, 1923, Alex Hannum is born in Los Angeles. Now that might sound like a very innocuous fact. And some of you might be wondering who is Alex Hannum? Well, he's a guy that I think doesn't always get his just due. I want to give you just a real quick rundown who he was. Professional basketball player and coach. Played in the NBA in the very early days, 49 to 57. Um, Was a decent player, not a star, but a solid player. Um, Here's a fact. Hannum is one of only three NBA players to receive more than six personal fouls in a single game. Uh, Apparently, December 26th of 1950, he received seven personal fouls in a game against the Boston Celtics, at which time he's playing for the Syracuse Nationals. So that's an interesting fact. But really where his importance comes in, midway through the 57 season, Hannum was named player coach of the St. Louis Hawks. Um, And he was actually the Hawks' third head coach that year. Um, During that time, uh, actually, they finished the rest of the regular season with a actually technically a losing record, basically just below 500. Um, But the Western Conference that they were in at that time, or Western Division, was weak enough and they were able to pull things together in the playoffs. They won the division title and advanced all the way to the NBA Finals, where they lost to the Celtics in seven games. Hannum retired as a player after the season, but stayed on as a coach. And it was that following season um, that the Hawks won their only NBA championship versus the Celtics with Bob Pettit and uh, uh, Cliff Hagen as their kind of leading star players. Um So he got a championship very early in his coaching career. Then he coached uh, in a different league, returned to the NBA uh, with his nationals, had success there, good playoff runs, was named the coach of the year in 64 with the San Francisco Warriors after he led them to the finals against the Celtics. Then he was the head coach of the 76ers, where he coached that team to a 68-13 and record and a championship against the uh, San Francisco Warriors, uh, Will Chamberlain's team. Or no, sorry, uh, Nate Thurman's team at that time. Wilt Chamberlain was now in the Sixers. So two championships. Not only that, he then joins the Oakland Oaks of the ABA and leads that team to the 1969 ABA championship. So a phenomenal head coach. He was the president of the San Diego Rockets. Um or no, sorry, he left the head coaching position with the San Diego Rockets and became president, GM, and head coach of the Denver Rockets, now known as the Denver Nuggets. Um, Coached a little bit more, had some great success, and uh, he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1998. So um, it was a little bit longer than I intended, and I apologize for that. But I just had to highlight that because an incredible person and figure in the history of the NBA I mean, he coached Bob Pettit, Wilt Chamberlain, um, might have coached a young Nate Thurmond in uh, Golden State, hard to say. You know, Billy Cunningham, Rick Barry with the Oakland Oaks, all these great talents, you know, and won championships in both leagues. So 
that is it. I'll I'll get off my uh, little tangent about Alex Hannum. But um, yeah, <laughs> Wyatt, Wyatt, I'll ask you again. Any closing remarks before we close out uh, season one of the podcast? Uh, thank you to all of the listeners for supporting us through our first season. We just hope to, you know, be better and better every year. So stay tuned for next season. And I'm excited for the fun things that are to come. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you again. Uh, We can't say it enough. Those that have listened, we really appreciate it. Again, stay tuned for our Instagram page to get updates on when we're going to be back, what new things we'll have with the podcast. And uh, until then... We'll catch you next time.